Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time to shake the tree with another episode of our succession series on In the Can, part of the Barnburner Podcast Network. In this episode, Farmer Barn, Kansas City Brett, and me, the chief, are back to talk episode three, which is Lifeboats. And we strictly follow Roman's shirts off policy, discuss Tom's meteoric rise in the parks division, Craig's boat shoes, the introduction of Stewie, Roman being open for business, and whether Kendall is in fact the man. So kick it with us here. But first, we got to give a shout out to the barn burner sponsor, Blue Note Bourbon. It is a premium small batch bourbon distilled in Memphis by Memphis folks. It's delicious. It is the Roy family's favorite bourbon. And now, here's a succession podcast. Kendall, if the stock drops below 130, you're in breach and we want our money back. Can we start to negotiate? I know you said that he wasn't great, but I was passing by, so I thought I'd pop up. I'm afraid that is out of the question. No one apart from Marsha has seen him for the better part of a week. Relax. We don't want to rush the recovery. Oh, right, because you like playing boss? You know my brother and I, CEO and COO. And welcome Tom Wamsgans, who is now sitting up with the grown-ups. Stock's gone below 130. I've had an idea. You give me $4 billion. I stay boss. You invest for once in a blue-chip corporation. I'm going to need voting stock. I'm also going to need a board seat. And I wouldn't say that I'm the man, but if there were a man, he might look a lot like me. After you went down the stock tank, you took a gamble on that loan. But I found us a private equity solution. You are a fucking idiot. All right, this is The Chief. We're here with another episode of In the Can Succession Series. And again, if it operates, I chief it because I'm CEO of this bitch, baby. Boys, how y'all doing? I'm joined by Kansas City Brett, Player One, and Farmer Barn. And we're here to talk HBO's family drama and dark comedy succession episode by episode. This is episode three, titled Lifeboats. Brett, what are you doing, man? How are you? Good to see you. Uh, I, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> what about you, Barn? What you got going on, man? Cousin Greg! I love you. <laughs> That's going to happen again and again because this guy loves Cousin Greg. Let's start, boys, with a quick plot summary of episode three, which again is entitled Lifeboat. So this episode kind of follows three narratives, uh, the first of which Logan returns in the hospital and he is on bed rest and his wife's kind of taking super hardcore control care of him. Marsha is not letting anyone see him. Kendall is starting to 
enter his duties as CEO and calls a board meeting and also is trying to figure out a fucking solution to the entire company being in debt and going down. And Tom and Greg are adjusting to their corporate roles and seamen over their heads. As the stock continues to plummet, Kendall has to reach out to an old buddy, an old college friend, but might have invented an enemy in the process. Kendall also reconciles with Robin, too. That's a little plot line, too. He seems very conflicted about staying together. So what do you all think about this episode in general? Is this kind of a continuation of one and two? Do we feel like the momentum continued? Or how do we feel in general about this episode? What do you think, Brett? It's not as big as the first two episodes in terms of, like, hit big hitters. So the first two episodes had cliffhangers to end. And this one, although I do really like the way this episode ends with just the music playing and uh, Kendall in shock, but um, yeah, as far as the episode goes, it's just kind of one that, that fills in the gaps and you get to see them settle in or try to settle in. Uh, and Kendall tries to play CEO. And play he does. What do you think, Barn? Yeah, for me, I think it's a setup episode. Like Kansas City said, it's a filler. Um, of the three that we've discussed thus far, it'd be the one that I don't think is, um, you know, even anywhere too close to one and two. Um, but I do think that it's needed because some, some pretty important shit nonetheless still goes down. But yeah, in terms of like really getting to know characters better or character development or even the development of the plot, um, it's not nearly as important as one and two. On, on rewatch, this really, to me, seemed much better too, knowing the characters and knowing who they all are. I, I laughed a lot harder the second time at the various jokes and comments just because you do know who these dudes are. And so I was kind of laughing my ass off by myself and, and uh, enjoying myself. And But before we discuss, guys, I, I think shirts off right now, baby. Let the record reflect that we are all removing our headphones and taking our shirts off literally while recording this podcast live. I'm fucking doing it. Can I suggest something? Yeah. Can I suggest we all take our shirts off? Okay, Kendall. No, they can write a fucking algorithm to run this place, but that's not the answer. That's not us. So, break shit up. Like, just disrupt. What are you doing? Taking my shirt off. That's all. Shirts off? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. No, wait, did you say pants too? Or okay, just shirts. My bad. Just shirts. Or you can do pants. You know, as long as you keep the webcam high, man. Can I uh, keep my deck shoes on? Yep, keep your deck shoes. Keep the deck shoes on for sure. Yeah. Okay, so now that we're shirtless, we can start really discussing things. Uh, And and this is how you really. This is when you really dive in. You take the shirts off, feel primal, ready to go. This is the Roman method, baby. Let's start off with something I found really excellent about this episode, and that is what's commonly referred to as the ticking clock. So the stock falling, the ticking time clock, you see it as bombs in a lot of movies and TV shows. But um, I like that. I like seeing the steady stock going down. I like seeing the, the graph, literally. It kind of puts like an extra element to the episode where there's like more intensity. It's like in 24 when the clock's ticking down. That visual really works for me in terms of drama. What do y'all think about the stock? The stock? The stuff of Kendall's nightmares. Man. That's what this episode was. It really was. And <laughs> it, it, his, his trying to figure it out and come up with a plan to get on the call is, is awesome. Uh, when he's discussing with Jerry, who's quickly becoming my favorite character upon this rewatch. And he goes, hey, Jerry, I got a new game plan for the call. Pause. Uh-huh. Jerry, just with the tight face smile. And then he goes, I'm relaxed. Or no, he's like, are you relaxed? She's like, I'm relaxed. I'm relaxed. And then he just... He goes, I'm going to go hard. I'm going to go hard, balls deep in this call. And she's like, okay. And just her face is incredible in that scene. Um, the call scene with Kendall where he calls, the, I guess, the, the person who owns the loan, the debt, and could very well collect on it. Uh, and he tries to talk him down. 
and does it horribly because he doesn't realize this guy does not like the aggressive approach. It's just a master glass in comedy. And the way that the, the dial tone hangs, like the death throes of Kendall, literally 15 seconds of like, not, not a dial tone, but just silence. And uh, then he goes, oh, are you still there? Uh, 29 seconds. I counted. Let's go. <laughs> nine seconds. And that That's is literally impossible. Like, like we should try to do that right now. It probably won't play well, but we should just try to not say anything for 29 seconds. And yeah, it. I'm not, I'm going to just go ahead and say, I won't be able to do that. I have a exactly. feeling I'll, I'll end up getting up and like screaming and probably grabbing a sharp object or something. <laughs> hurting Ooh, myself sharp objects <laughs> another nice little hbo plug there yeah shout out, to HBO, shout out to hbo that, that scene's excellent uh what did y'all think of that scene and kind of just kendall's general first day as as a ceo and how he goes about it what do you think stash man i mean it's we talked about this last episode it's like you you get the sense so quickly it's it's easy to see that kendall's someone that's not confident in his own skin, you know, or you're even comfortable. So him asking Jerry and we were just laughing about him running that buyer. And then how big of a shit show this call is with this. You you don't even see the person, but you just know that it's this corporate stuffy buttoned up, you know, high exec that knows he has Kindle and in turn the company by the balls. And he tried Kindle just tries to, pull out his like fraternity broisms, and it goes so horribly wrong. Um, so, you know, when I said that this is a filler episode, I think we'll get into a little bit of this later, but um, of anyone, we probably, I would argue, get the most character focus on Kindle um, and who he is and him embracing this new role that he has even in personal life with Rava and shit that's going on there. So um, for him, I will, I'll amend what I said earlier in that I still think that overall it's a filler episode, but it's one that is probably pretty important. I agree with you um, chief and second viewing of being able to kind of get a better feel and sense for who Kendall is. No doubt. I love when he walks in at the board meeting and he goes, my people. And he's just claps, like awkward <laughs> clapping. It's just like, he probably Googled how to be a cool guy in a meeting and like did all those things from a Buzzfeed article. It's, it's <laughs> and he goes, just wanted to get everyone together early in my tenure, just to say beat. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> yo, dude, he just says, yo. And everyone's like, it's like 65 year old, like waspy guys. They're like, what the hell is happening right now? And they really make a good, point to like cut around and show reaction shots of everyone and yes what about lauren i love i love seeing them they make it's so intentional for them to show lawrence as this is going on of of you know walter and you can just tell he's like this guy is such a complete dipshit (laughs) he has no business running we literally just sold our company to you know someone that's now trying to give this like impassioned speech that begins with yo <laughs> <laughs> and he has like this smile really quick it's just oh dude it's 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 hilarious um what do you, what do you think brett do you, do you have something to add on that scene uh just uh tom getting cut cut out of his big day you know we we're <laughs> highlighting that this is kendall's episode but it's tom's big day too right we, he's we getting the promotion the big promotion man <laughs> sitting at the big boy table yeah yeah, he, he, and uh, one of my favorite like little low key points of that scene is Tom's like vigorously taking notes while Kendall's talking. But he's not saying 
Like he, he like underlines lifeboats at one point, and it's just like, dude, stop being a kiss ass. That, that's the character, you know. Like that's that's what you need to know about Tom. Just getting ready to shake the tree, right? Yeah. Shake the tree, shake isn't the tree. It, isn't it Tom that picks up on uh, Kendall's um, Death Star quote? He's like, "Okay, Lord Vader." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tom says that to says that to Kendall. He, he has a lot of Star Wars quotes in this episode, so we're starting to see who Tom is. Like clearly a nerd that snuck his way into this culture and doesn't really know what's going on, but. To get there, clearly Shiv's bitch. Is <laughs> you were a teacher that says that? That's pretty accurate. Shiv's bitch. So, that, so Kendall's got that going on, and, and you know he really just he's in over his head. He's trying to figure it out and trying to trying to figure out how to get the, the stock up. Let's talk about Roman's kind of arc in this episode. So he hires a personal trainer. He's like this Jack's like blonde haired dude, and he, like we never see him actually working out. He's just like stretching and. <laughs> And then he fucks up his back and like <laughs> never actually works out. Like you don't see him exercise a single bit, but he, he's just like, I'm CEO now. That's right. That's chief operating officer. That means if it operates, I chief it. And the trainer's just like, dude, what is this guy talking about? So, and then him in the board meeting is amazing too. When he's like just repeating like the hype man or whatever Kendall's saying. And, uh, and he says, the internet, man. Like, <laughs> like, like yes, uh, the internet. Uh, yes, that is a, that is a factor. We are trying to be on the internet. And then at the end, he goes, lifeboats. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> I love when he is like talking to the trainer and the trainer's like, and this is, they crush this, by the way. They totally nailed the quintessential, really fit personal trainer that's like, bro, I'm going to need you to take this shit seriously. Like if I'm going to service you as a client, I expect you to be here at 5.30 a.m. And I love watching Roman's reaction during that whole time because he's like, yeah, okay, I got you. Like I, I can be here at five thirty, whatever. I don't really give a shit, you know. Um, but him stretching him out to begin that scene, he literally looks like he's a pretzel. Yeah. Like he's in so much pain, you can tell he's so uncomfortable. And the guy is just straight like ripping basically his arms and legs off to the point where, you know, foreshadowing for sure. You know he's going to leave that session and probably be beyond just sore. He's he's going to be injured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just going to stand up. Uh, my back's kind of fucked up from personal training. Just to the whole board. Uh, Don't yeah, mind. I'm just going to stand. Uh, my back's pretty fucked up. Got a new trainer. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, so yeah, he's awkwardly standing amongst the whole meeting. It's incredible. And then let's not forget, Roman starts his first day on the job and go. You know, gets in his office. Finally, he's settled in. Sits down. Boots up his Dell incredible widescreen computer. Boots up Outlook or whatever fucking email server they use, and suddenly the emails start rolling in. And we and I, you know I think all three of us have dealt with this before, getting lots of emails in our professional lives, and that can be a stressful experience. But when you're CEO or COO of a big company, I can't imagine the amount of emails you get every day. So he starts seeing those come in, and it stresses him out. And stresses him out. Then what does he do, Brett? <laughs> uh, he says hello to all of New York City. <laughs> <laughs> in what in what way, man? In what way? Um, I don't know. It's something that I've never seen before. Uh, <laughs> it looked to me like he pulled a magic wand out of his pants um, and then sprayed some sort of white fairy dust all over uh, his window. That had to have been what happened. What do you think, Warren? What do you think about that scene? The- Dude, what, what, is, what is like the writers of the show's obsession with people in their office like literally ejecting some type of bodily fluid from – themselves well you know it's logan and and either coming up or or even in episode one to start out even though he's not in his office of just straight like 
throwing up some chunky pee. And then <laughs> we, yeah, got, we got Rome just straight looking down New York City, <laughs> probably like down on Fifth Ave, Saks, and just like going to town on himself alternating hands it's just whoa yeah yeah alternate good skill on from this guy he's a switch hitter for sure that, yeah. that, that is like uh that that literally takes the cake of like that escalated quickly although who's going to be the one that talks about his great uh his great one-liner when he when he finishes and opens his door <laughs> go ahead man i, I want to hear you quote it when he's like and i'm open for business <laughs> And it's just like, imagine everyone is in their, in their cubicles doing whatever they're doing, like reports or PowerPoints or whatever. And suddenly this guy just yells at you and you're just like trying to go about your day. And he just yells, I'm open for business. And you have no idea what the context is. For this well, yeah. I would say that literally, if you probably asked and went around to each and every one of those people, they'd probably be like, yeah, I bet Roman just jerked off to start his like Monday morning. <laughs> like yeah, none like of them would be surprised. As you approached all of their desks, you'd see them closing the job application website. Yeah, <laughs> uh, stock because they're all either watching the stock crash or applying for new jobs. Oh, absolutely, there's no doubt they, they're all aware. I mean, they can all look at that stock ticker just as well as anyone else can, and, and that's that's really funny. You know, Bob and Tina are in the coffee room, like like Roman just jerked off to change. Like, yeah, I definitely think he did. Just pulling down the shades like that, like such a, a conspicuous way, is just a, a hilarious moment. Just to see him do that, I love. I mean, he's like a kid, man. Like the emails come in, he gets stressed, he gets bored, and he does what bored teenagers do: jerk off. Like that's like the, the you know, that, and that's exactly within his character to be something that he would do. And I, I just, I love how the second the second he reaches his climax, it cuts to an espresso pouring out of a uh, coffee maker. I love hard cuts like that, and when they use them cleverly to. Take you by surprise because uh, it has forever ruined my you know, <laughs> routine of when I first get in the office and go to the Keurig machine before it just gets to be a crowded log jam. And now I just got to keep myself busy while, you know, the end of the Keurig's doing its thing. And it's like <laughs> at the very end, I'm just literally like, I, I basically take a stroll around the office right. now yeah, while, take, my, take a lap. while my coffee's going because I'm just like, thanks a lot, Roman. Thanks, Succession. You forever fucked it up for me. Look, look, I, am, look. I am proud of them for not doing the obvious thing and uh, showing them pouring the creamer into a cup of coffee. So, <laughs> yeah, they were, they, real reversal. Yeah, real, yeah. real uh, subversion of our expectations of the audience there using the espresso instead of creamer. But um, one thing I liked was, uh, well, not liked, one thing I wondered, actually, and I tried to Google this. So this is a fascinating uh, chief Google here. I wonder if they used fake jizz. Like, what's the whole jizz thing in movies and TV? Like, Silence of the Lambs has the, you know, when Miggs throws the jizz on Jodie Foster. Like, is this, what is this? Where do you order it? And like, what, where do you get it? Like, I think it's a hilarious, there'd have been a million college pranks to play with this if you could purchase this. (laughs) Yeah, looked a little Elmer's gluey to me. Oh, you think Uh, that's what it was? Yep, yep. Broke, Van, like, paste on the window there. Van Wilder filling the donuts, you know? Like, <laughs> what, 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 are yeah. we, what are we using? I don't know. I just was fascinated by that. Uh, maybe weirdly so, but I, I Googled it. Couldn't find anything out, y'all. So uh, if, I, if I do uncover that, though, I'll be sure to bring it up. Just uh, fascinated to know if there's a store out there selling pages. <laughs> Let's talk about Greg and Tom's arc. This Because uh, they're, sort of, uh, they're sort of intertwined, and I see Barn there wringing his hands. So let's start with Greg. So Greg, when we last left off, wasn't sure if he had a job, but, but it started to sort of weasel his way into the company. So he walks in day one, 
Take me through it, Barn. I want to hear your, I want to hear Greg's day one. It's so brilliant. Like, <laughs> it's going to be hard. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, it will be hard for me to get through rehashing how amazing this is without just bursting out in fits of hysterical laughter. Him being in the lobby of the building and not being able to even get beyond, like, the security checkpoints to ride the elevator is such a great way to start his initiation into Waystar. And it's like to the point where they're like, wait, who are you? And he's like, well, I'm, you know, I'm like technically like a member of the Royal family. I just have a different name. And then I love that they very intentionally have Tom stroll through and Greg sees Tom. And he's like, Hey, Tom, Tom, can you help me? Like, Tom, can you get me in? And Tom just like gives them like a fuck off. You're on your own look and keeps walking. <laughs> he just gives them a wave like, oh, hey, man, good to see oh, you. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> hey. I think my favorite part is when he walks in, like he nods to two guys in suits, like leaving the building and goes, gents. And like, <laughs> and, and he goes, and it's like when he nods and says gents, like no one says that, but he thinks he needs to say that. So he's now in like this waspy like super awesome, you know, uh, business in New York. And Bochy then he was wearing a company. Yeah. But yeah, Bochy was wearing company. He, he walks up to the, the girl trying to figure out like what the hell he's supposed to do. And he goes, uh, uh I believe I'm working here as of today. And she's like, what the, <laughs> he's like, he doesn't say I am working here. He's like very ambiguous about it. And she's like, okay, what's your job title? He's like uh job title. I'm, I'm not exactly sure per se. <laughs> he says per se. Dude, I, I just had me rolling. Like his whole interaction with her. And then he sees Tom walk in and tries uh, to. Tom, uh, boss Tom. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, Tom. And I love, I love that Greg's wearing like this just like really dingy old pinstripey gangster style New York suit that he yeah. like bought straight off the rack at Goodwill. <laughs> And he has like his credit cards maxed out. Guy's got no money. I want to see the story of Greg, like the four days between like episode two and episode three, right? When he's just like living like a homeless guy in New York, like Fear stealing the, the, the trash can. Yeah, like I wonder what what he uh, what he's doing to survive out there on those New York streets, man. He's in a youth hostel and uh, maxing out his credit cards. Does he have like a twelve hundred dollar credit card limit? Like probably he's got one of those credit. He's, it's his first credit card. <laughs> he's got that discovery with the initials on it. You know that every college kid got their first credit card. Yeah, I love that so much. When we're not going to spoil this whole scene because we need to devote a significant amount of time to talk yeah, about we'll, it and all. It's going to be a category for sure. Yeah, but I will say, <laughs> all I'll say is the response. Tom has to Greg saying that you know he's got like three or four roommates in a youth hostel for 80 bucks a day and Tom's literal response is Jesus how squalid (laughs) (laughs) he's like so disgusted how squalid (laughs) I'm just gonna start like talking in succession quotes (laughs) just actually I'll be not liked in about three seconds if I do that so I probably don't need to do that but uh, it, would be, just, it would be an impressive like month of my life to do that. You're going to interject in a depot and, uh, you know, <laughs> the, <laughs> the opposing party is going to say something and in a depot, just very loudly muttered under your breath to where it makes it on the record. You're like, how oh, squalid. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely going to do that. Yeah. Uh, so Greg, you know, fig- f- fights his way into the company and, and finds himself in parks, which is Tom's division. Uh, which is uh, it sets us up more comedy ensues because of that 
But let's talk about Tom. So Tom, man, he is a dude that his boss is now retired. He is the head of parks. He's now on the, he's in the board on the board. Well, not on the board. He's on in like the director meeting or whatever. And he's, he's a big shot now, man. Like he's been waiting this for all this time to finally get this position, but he's not ready for it, man. Like he doesn't know what the hell to do. He doesn't know how to be a boss. And so him trying to figure his way out through that is a hilarious arc during this episode. What did y'all think about Tom shaking the tree? Uh, I just want to point out, he starts his morning really chipper. Uh, we see Shiv like making breakfast or coffee or whatever. And he comes down and he's talking to the dog mm-hmm. he's really happy. And she says, uh, you know, you're walking into a burning barn, right? Oh, she, threw oh, oh. she knew, man. Podcast. Yep. Oh yeah. She but, knew we were going to be talking to session. Uh, but I, yeah, uh, I want to make sure we hit on Shiv in this. I'm sure we will hit on Shiv in this episode, but uh, to get back to Tom, yeah, he is ready for the day. Um, and it is a juxtaposition with Kendall earlier on in the episode who is literally like calling Rava for advice on how to have, a big boy phone call with the banker. Whereas Tom is like, yeah, I'm ready for this. Like put me in coach. Uh, and Kendall's like, should I go Hulk or Bruce Banner? I don't like, you're really good at this stuff. Like, <laughs> like come on, Kendall, do your job. Yeah. And then, uh, when Tom first walks into the parks meeting, when he's kind of announced as the boss and, uh, and he's just, he's kind of cracking jokes. That's kind of his leadership style is like, I'll joke a little bit and be kind of the funny, cool guy that you want to like hang out with. But you know, when I need to, I'll be the boss. And so he goes, yeah, here to fix the Death Star, grill on the exhaust port, people, grill on the exhaust port. <laughs> and I love that. I've never heard, I mean, obviously, like, Star Wars fans, far and wide, of which I am definitely one, have often wondered why the damn Empire didn't just put a grill on the exhaust port with the ion can missiles can't fucking get in. Come on. Greg, Greg's thought about it. He's, he's probably on the Star Wars Reddit, uh, which I frequent as well. So. Or shouts to Tom. Shouts to Tom. I always so, like mix up Tom and Greg's name for some reason. I think, I think Kansas City makes a great point about juxtaposition and like it, it's definitely something the show the show writers the showrunners do throughout the season but think about this you mentioned it tom's super fired up for him to start his first meeting and having been promoted and he, he suddenly you know gets rudely interrupted by seeing his phone buzz and rather than click ignore on the call he answers <laughs> in the hall and it's shiv who's basically bitching about the fact that no one's been able to see Logan and they don't really know what's going on, how incapacitated he is. Cause Marsha's just got a stranglehold on, you know, the, the exposure, the, exactly the exposure that, you know, anyone can see to how bad of shape Logan's in, but he answers the phone. So I say that like there's serious juxtaposition and, and a parallelism to the first time we are really exposed to Greg and his mom having the conversation that they do after he gets fired as Dodrick, the dog, you know? And it's like, I'm not saying Tom called Shiv. I know it was the other way around, but he's literally stepping out of a meeting to answer her call. And it's like, to a point you made earlier, Kansas city, (laughs) you definitely know that Shiv's like calling the shots Mm -hmm. in their relationship. And Tom's like, you know, babe, I'm in the middle of my first meeting. What are you doing? You know, so it's it's like it, you're reminded of of how characters like Tom and Greg are someone that <laughs> they are they're dweebs at heart, you know, and like they're they're not someone that is ready to like take charge or do things on their own. They're at the first sign of adversity or you know something going not according to their plan. They're taking a call from their fiance or calling their mom. 
And we have to wonder if uh, Greg stepped up and took over that meeting when Tom left, right? Like, did Greg just like, uh, yeah, I'm Tom's assistant. I'll just run this meeting for you guys. Uh, what's your name? And then he just goes around the room making friends. Like, I would, <laughs> Dude, I would love to think that. Or he's like, yeah, uh, we are eliminating the character of Dodrick the dog. Um, <laughs> yeah. not, it's not working out. It is really not working out. It's actually, he's not connecting with kids at all. He's not connecting with kids. I have produced some studies here that um, I will circulate in, in five or ten months um, <laughs> that actually show that children have a very adverse Dare I say, violent reaction to the dog? <laughs> so we, we will be eliminating him from the program. Oh, Tom's back. Okay, yeah, um, let's continue. <laughs> that was good, man. Let me tell you, I, I feel like you wrote the character of Greg. Did you write Greg's dialogue for the show? Yeah, I feel like you, this is like kind of you, like in some ways, in, in a corporate environment. I think I might have. I, dare I say, Jesse Armstrong might have based Greg off me before I met my wife and she was able to like somewhat refine me. Um, I think me in high school might be Greg as a 26 year old man struggling so, to make it in corporate America. Greg will find love later. Got it. Spoiler, spoiler alert. <laughs> well, He'll um, actually shape into quite a young man. Yes, indeed. Indeed. If, if, uh, if farmer barn is any indication, which apparently he is uh, a carbon copy of Greg, then we know Greg turns out. Okay. Starts podcasting, you know, in his late twenties. And Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. All right. So, so Brett, you want to talk about Shiv's arc and, and go into that a little bit and discuss what Shiv's got going on in this episode. Yeah. Shiv's pretty suspicious. I'll just start off by saying that she, um, seems the most concerned about Logan. Everybody else is, it, it seems like everybody else has something to do. And I don't know if it's the aspect of her job that she's in a place where she doesn't have to work really or do anything. Uh, but she's just really focused on Logan and like farmer said, seeing him, right. Marsha's controlling the access. Um, and she gets so suspicious to the point that she actually hires her old friend to do a little background check on Marsha because she wants to know what's up with this lady who potentially, if Logan had his way earlier, uh, would be running the company. Um, so we get the news of that background check. Turns out that we don't really know much about Marsha's history other than she was married to a Lebanese man who had lots of parties with some fancy people and some seedy people. And that has Shiv pretty worried. So she calls in the big guns. Uh, she calls in the muscle of Connor and Tom <laughs> to uh, muscle her way past <laughs> the 65-year-old uh, woman. <laughs> and, uh, great line from Connor. Oh, God, I didn't know that's what we're here for. I'm usually uh, uh, t- uh, confrontation avoidance. Right? Everybody says, I like to avoid confrontation. Let's all just breathe. Like, <laughs> like you're the only one that's <laughs> freaking out here, Connor. Yeah. Um, uh, Shiv eventually makes her way up the stairs to see Logan in one of the uh, creepiest scenes of the series so far, I would say. Farmer, you're shaking your head. So uh, (laughs) go ahead and tell us about that scene. Oh, dude. How how do you and me keep letting Chief off the hook where we have to be the ones that recap the scene of Roman jerking it in his office or freaking Logan? moving his daughter's hand over his penis after he tells her he loves her. Um, if it operates, not cheap it, dude. I don't have to talk about this shit. Gosh. I mean, before we even get into that, uh, great call on your part of talking about who she enlists. It's just like a freaking comedy of errors. You're 
getting the two court jesters to go with you and force your way into seeing your father. And she has this great line where she's like, you know, Hey, Marsha, this is Connor Logan's firstborn. This is Tom, my partner. And together they're over 12 feet of, we would like to see him, please. <laughs> um, it's like Intense. 12 feet of what? Like their height or are Connor and Tom just packing some stuff. Gonna stand on top of each other and and just reach to the top of the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> but man, yeah, I mean that scene with Logan is all jokes aside, it is incredibly disturbing. I mean, you as a viewer throughout the episode, you're wondering, you know, if it's justifiable that Marsha's trying to cut down on access to Logan, and then you're thinking, like, really, even to his own children. Um, and earlier in the episode, they kind of preview that by like. Um, one of the characters seeing a maid leave his room crying and you're kind of like, okay, well, is that just, you know, Logan being Logan and he's back to his normal, probably um, really full of and rude self. Um, but then Shiv goes and they set you up and her up by saying like, you know, she's like, I love you, dad. And he's like, I love you too. And it's like, oh, that's sweet. Like a father and his only daughter sharing a moment together up until the point where dun, 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 he grabs her hand rather forcefully and starts trying to like put it on his groin. And man, I mean, it's, it really is an amazing performance by um, Sarah Snook because it's like her reaction is just as it should be one of yeah. utter, you know, disgust. And she's just so it's so grotesque to her that, that's where he is. So she freaking just books it out of that room. And it's like, she can't even speak to anyone about what happened. You know, it's like, everyone's like, well, how did he seem? Or, you know, I think Tom or Connor asked her and she just, she wants to get the hell out of there. Understandably. So. Yeah. She is quite shook up. (laughs) Um, I do enjoy. So like her performance, she throughout this episode and in the next episode, uh, jumping ahead a little bit, but she is totally clueless to the corporate, like what's happening here. And everybody's like trying to, like in this episode, when she goes in after or before she enlists the muscle and the first time she goes in, she is talking to Kendall in Rome and she's like, nobody will let her see debt. You know, it's been the better part of a week. Nobody's seen it. He's, he's like, it's four days. <laughs> Shiv, I don't know if that counts as a week, but uh, they're like basically telling her that, you know, the stock is crashing and Waystar is underwater and everything's bad. And she's like cracking jokes, walking out the room. She's like, call me if you go Lehman, will you? I might want to buy some of these chairs. <laughs> like, like totally clueless. And like in the next episode, um, when Tom is trying to tell her about the death pit and she's just like, Oh yeah, it's a big, scary death pit. Like just has no idea. She's so focused on, I would say the wrong things. Yeah, we also get that uh, intro to Nate that was mentioned too, who comes an important character for the rest of the show. And, and I know you you mentioned him, Brett, but and he he is the guy that every dude that's dating or married to a girl is worried about. The the ex boyfriend that meanders his way back into your girl's life that like they always had like it kind of the ex boyfriend that like she never fully like got over necessarily, and they had a lot in common, but just kind of dated at the wrong time, and that there's. You know, that, that's just the, the common fear. So they kind of develop a little bit of chemistry again. We start to see a seed planted for what might become a plot point in later episodes. Well, yeah. So. And, and it's like really like the, the meetup of you two is at a hotel in a hotel room. It's like, man, that, 
that feels too coincidental, you know? And he, and Nate even like makes reference to that and is like, really like we needed to, cause ultimately, you know, Shiv asked him to look into Marsha and have him run a background check and all that. But it, it's like, he, Nate's got a comment where he's like, was it really necessary for us to meet up in this hotel room? And it's there, they are both giving off some vibes as head chief to where it's like, there are still some feelings there and they haven't totally gotten over one another. We know that they've dated in the past. Um, it just feels as if this, this feels, you know, too convenient for something not to come out of this. Yeah. Shiv is the worst kind of that, you know, that sort of interaction because, she wants to be wanted, but then ultimately doesn't do anything. So technically she doesn't cheat. I mean, she effectively emotionally cheats, I guess, but she just wants to be wanted. And she gets a hotel room because she probably isn't sure whether or not she's going to bang Nate or not, you know, like until the second when he kind of floats it out there. So I, I got no love for Shiv and, and, you know, and sort of that arc of her, but it kind of does again. I mean, every act these people do credit to the writing tells you more about them and that she probably isn't as confident in herself as she None of these people are, right? None of these people are as confident as they put forth. But Jiv, neither, too. She seems like the most confident, but these kind of interactions tell me that she wants to be one, you know, and, and can't be satisfied with a good guy, which, for better or for worse, Tom is. He treats her well. And, and so, you know, he, she has to go seek attention from he other... Talks to her vagina. What more could she want? Yeah, he just wants to go on a date without Jiv <laughs> there, which is I thought was kind of weird. <laughs> She's like, what the hell? You're weird. But okay, like, she, she enjoys Tom, but you know, that's a, that's a kind of a messed up move on my gal Shiv's part. See, I read it a little different maybe from what you, but it could be two sides of the same coin. I thought that she chose the hotel room because she knew it would make Nate come right away. Like, Oh shit. Shiv wants to meet in a hotel room. I'm about to have some fun. And so to me, it was more of like a actually good calculated move. Maybe so. Yeah. I mean, that's the glass half full. Shiv's a nice person view. But uh, we'll see what happens. No, I'm just kidding. That's a good. That's a good view. That's a good view. Boys, we need to talk Stewie's introduction too. Our boy Stewie and the arc, Kendall's arc continues. He's got that debt, man. Three point two five, and they round up that company. <laughs> uh, and he needs to figure out a way to pay that three point two five billion dollars. Uh, and and so he goes out to a private equity buddy of his, Stewie, who is a we, we kind of learned is a college buddy. He's do a lot of code together. Probably chase women. And, and Stewie's just a, another one of this, you know, this box of really, really well-off, spoiled kids. But he's a private equity guy, meaning he, he invests. He has a bunch of private investors that invest in companies and a lot of times try to take control and seize board seats in companies and essentially bail out companies in situations like this, publicly traded companies, to do just what Stewie does. So Kendall approaches them as a buddy. They meet in the coffee shop. He says, hey, long time to see. I got this issue. Is this something you'd be interested in? Finally invest in a company that's worth a shit, not these you know little small like um, bad companies you've been investing in to date. This is a company that's actually going to put you on the map. And uh, what do y'all think about kind of Stewie's interaction with Kendall and his and, and his motives here in this episode and going forward? Yeah, man, he it's it's a really good performance by Aaron Moyad. You know, it's like he comes off as for better or for worse, just the way you categorize the sleazy stockbroker, New York, you know, he interrupts Kendall and is like, Hey man, sorry to tell you, bro. Like I'm really hungover, So I'm going to need to pick me up, which turns into him needing to do a line of Coke in like the bathroom of a Starbucks that they're meeting at. 
which actually we, we need to talk about in more detail because referring back to what I said earlier about this episode being a little bit of a deep dive and more of an investigative piece on Kindle. Um, there's some interesting implications from there, but yeah, I mean, you can tell that they used to be boys, Kindle being a recovering addict. Like they obviously used to do drugs together. He tries to get Kindle to do Coke with them and in the Starbucks bathroom, which are you guys going to now be concerned if you like hop into Starbucks and someone could just be like casually doing a line of Coke at, seven or eight in the morning or is that only like confined to the area of new york city i mean it's definitely a possibility and and i i thought was especially good is that they i didn't ever think about this but like the notion of doing cocaine off your phone screen like it makes a lot of sense and but that's not something i really thought about would be like a reality of it but like it is like a portable mirror that you always have you know like a a, a perfectly flat surface that no grain's going to get caught up anywhere so like I, I thought that was kind of an interesting like oh they uh they did their research. They probably either have all you know done cocaine together, or they hung out with some Wall Street guys. But it uh, it, it came across as real—the sort of notion of the pick me up at ten a.m. and the you know I got to go to the bathroom to do this. We'll keep talking business. Like, oh, never mind me. I'm just doing like a pretty hardcore drug that ruins lives while you like pitch a business idea to me. That's yeah. what we fucking do in New York. Yeah, and I would say too, you know, Kendall, he's taking a. Could you even say calculating? It's a maybe very egregious dare I say like fucking negligent risk and and telling someone that yeah he has a previous relationship with but you know he tries to start out with like hey this is like off the cuff don't tell anyone he gets into the you know background of of the stock and how they're really up a shit's creek and it's like you're trust you're entrusting this kind of information and asking this guy to potentially help you get out of this jam and it's this sleazy i need to do cocaine early in the morning because i'm too hungover from the night before so i think the the bigger takeaway is it's like man kendall if this is your best option if this is your plan a of the person that you're going to to like help you get out of a jam what does that say about you bro like he's talked himself into this being a good idea too like you know, he, he's very confident. Well, he, he thinks he's confident throughout the episode and thinks he's doing the right thing. But really, I don't know if he's necessarily thought about what he's doing and the kind of person he's approaching. We also get introduced to Sandy. I don't know his last name, but he's kind of the, the equivalent. Okay. Uh, he's the equivalent of Logan, owns kind of, a, a, I guess, a competitor media company and has been kind of the, the arch rival nemesis of Logan throughout their career. So he's basically like, you know, arch enemy number one, like public enemy number one. And he walks into Waystar and, and has a meeting with Kendall and Kendall meets with him when I feel like a lot of, if, if Logan heard that he was there, he would either beat the shit out of him in a conference room with a stapler or just not even see him and kick him out. So that kind of shows that Kendall, I don't necessarily think that's the wrong move. You know, I don't, I don't think it's bad to go in and hear what he has to say, but I guess if the whole company is going to interpret that poorly, then bad move by Ken. Yeah. You know, Jerry says, like your father would have shot him on sight, (laughs) you know? And it's like, Kendall's like, well, I'm not my father, you know? Um, That's the thing too. I'm not my father. And like, I'm going to do things similarly effective, but not quite the same way. But yeah, it's a pretty power move by Sandy to, you know, go in and really try to almost strong arm and intimidate Kendall when he's like, Hey, just want to come, you know, wish your dad the best. And Kendall has this response where he's like, I'm pretty sure you could have done this like over the phone. Um, but yeah, it's very clearly communicated that Sandy is showing up to be like, 
really two things. One, to exert his influence over the situation and say, you know, I'm, I'm here. I know what's going on. I know you guys are in an inner state of turmoil. Um, I'm very aware of that. But then also, too, equally, if not more important, his way of saying like, hey, kid, I'd be more than happy to be a sounding board if you need anything. You know, trying to like weasel his way in because he almost has a sense that um, Kendall could be vulnerable. And like he does have these feelings of anxiety and angst with his father and their relationship is very complicated. So it's a classic rival looking to take advantage of that and, and be like, I could get something out of this, you know, if I play my cards right. For sure. Um, so Kendall rekindles a little bit with Rob, you know, he's feeling himself, he's feeling confident. He is wanting to adopt the true CEO lifestyle. And that is kind of having a nuclear family, whether it's like real and authentic or not. That's, that's often the question with these, these, you know, career businessmen, big, big quality businessmen. But, um, so he goes out to dinner with Rava after he, you know, pays back the debt. He gets Stewie's money. He's feeling good about himself. The company is back on the up. And he has the I'm the man speech with Rava. You know, he sits down and like they're getting dinner. He's kind of cracking jokes. You can get a sense of how they used to be. It's kind of a moment where we can sense how these two people definitely had a relationship and, and why they gelled to begin with. Ultimately, it, end, I mean, it ends in them banging, but like they ultimately don't really tie the knot. You know, they don't truly end up together because they aren't meant to be together at that time. But she's seeing someone else. And but that's a scene where you can truly tell Ken's like riding high, right? He's like, maybe the highest we've seen in the entire show today. And, and what do y'all think about kind of Rava's interchange? If there was a man, Kendall might be the man. Hypothetically, if there were a man, he might be it. Yes. Let me ask you this, Kansas City. Um, let's bring up too, um, lest we forget that Stewie asked Kendall like, hey, what's the latest on you and Rava? You know, so it's like, and Kendall freaks out, of course, because he's like, well, what do you mean? What's the latest? But Stewie's basically asking whether or not they're completely done because, you know, there's another guy out there. My question to you, Kansas City, is twofold, all right? One, does that make Kendall want Rava even more after he has that conversation with Stewie? Um, and two, do you think the guy could be Stewie himself? Look out. Oh shit. He's a slime ball. I really feel like he would move in on his really good friend. Dare I say best friends, ex-wife and be like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Yeah. 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 Uh, Stewie has wanted Rava ever one time in grad school where he walked in on Kendall and her banging and he just can't get that image out of his mind. <laughs> so he's been waiting seven years for this opportunity. So, yeah, I think number two, absolutely. Uh, number one, uh, yeah, also absolutely. Kendall probably is appealed uh, by the idea that other people want the woman that he can't really have. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, definitely. Yes to both. A hearty, resounding yes to both. What about you, Chief? Yeah, I hadn't thought about either of those things. Like the idea, Kendall's a guy that w- would be – enjoyed by that challenge like he would enjoy the challenge of a woman that is one of other people and uh really to him that makes me question whether or not that dinner was real maybe it was a game to him to to kind of bring her back to his side now that he's got the power in his mind and he is that hypothetical man so so good points good points barn i do so yeah i mean now that i think about it it could also be sandy 
because he was meeting with Stewie at the end of the episode. So maybe Sandy was asking Stewie Ooh. if Robbo was still on the market. Uh-oh. You know? Yeah, Sandy's that kind of guy, too. Sandy definitely has a prescription for Viagra. That guy's fucking snorting Viagra just before when he wakes up in the morning, whether or not he's planning on banging. Have we seen Sandy in a Viagra commercial where, like, they've got the, the wrought iron tubs, like, 10 miles into the forest where it leaves you thinking, like, holy shit. You're in the mood. You must be super horny if you're willing to drag that wrought iron tub, like, deep into Appalachia to the remote corners of the forest. I feel like Sandy has been in a Viagra commercial. Yeah, uh, those Viagra commercials are amazing. That this could be an entire diatribe on its own. That'll be in the the Viagra podcast that we do. I'm sure at some point on uh, in the can. But uh, stay tuned. Oh, wait, wait. So we're talking about the little blue pill, but don't we also have something in our lives called Blue Note? Oh what? wow, that's a great segue, Brett. Segway guy. Uh, blue Note Bourbon, in fact, is what I believe you're referring to, which is the Barnburner sponsor. It is a premium small batch bourbon distilled right here in Memphis by Memphis folks. It's delicious. Again, the Royce family. Favorite bourbon. I think they drink blue note could without that, a doubt in their mouth. Could that also lead to a night of excitement? Blue pill and some blue note. Would that be uh, the perfect night for most <laughs> most men? I don't want to tie blue note with Viagra. I think oh, okay. the Maybe sponsor might the sponsor <laughs> might not enjoy that. Uh, but so 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 it might I, hypothetically, if there were a night with blue note and and the blue pill, it might be fun. But uh, I, that's neither here nor there. But before we go into categories, boys, we got to talk the soul crushing last scene. Who wants to take me through that? Who? Who's got the chops right now to just take care of me through the emotional roller coaster that Kendall goes through in the last three minutes of this episode? Give it to me. Give Let's it go. to Give me. Give him the ball. Give him the ball. He's hot. It's so good because, man, it's brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. The setup, you have Greg just casually, probably on his lunch break, rather than taking like 30 to 45 minutes. It's like an hour and a half or two into a lunch break, strolling through like Central Park just shooting the shit, doing his thing. And lo and behold, he looks over and who does he see meeting, trying to remain as nonchalant as possible? Stewie with Larry Furness, the freaking rival of Logan and Waystar. And it's a oh shit moment where they're in bed together. They're in cahoots. And Greg, (laughs) it's so good, man. It's brilliant. Greg kind of stops because we know that he saw Kendall meeting with Stewie. Um, and it, it leaves you wondering, like, did he see Larry Furness when he showed up that day at Waystar to meet with Kendall? Um, so the brilliance of it, man, is as a viewer, you're thinking Greg has a feeling that something is off with this and that there's more to this than just two old chums sitting on a park, park bench just catching up. But I would ask the two of you, is it more than that? Do you think that Greg has the presence of mind at that moment in time to say like, wait a minute, something seems amiss here. Like these two guys are meeting with each other or is it as simple as him just like staring at the pigeon that is having a choking attack as he eats too large of a piece of bread over their right shoulder because Greg basically is a functioning man child who probably has ADHD. I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, we don't even know if he can see that far at this point. Like, he's probably <laughs> he probably can't afford contacts or glasses, <laughs> and he was just kind of wondering what the blobs were meeting on the bench. <laughs> uh, no, I I still think that Greg is the secret Sith. So, yeah, he saw it. He he uh, siphoned that uh, away. For all we know, I mean, Chief already brought up. We want to see what Greg was doing for those four days before getting a job. I think that when he was at the house trying to find the slippers. I think the reason his credit cards are maxed out is because he bought gifts for all the staff and has them all in his pocket right now reporting to him on every move that Logan and Marsha are making. Mm. And so how else could his credit cards get maxed that fast? He might have bought a double-bladed lightsaber. Uh, you know, that, oh, or that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's definitely at least a 1,000 of that uh, credit card. Yeah, has I, anybody ever seen Greg and Darth Maul in the same room at the same time? I haven't. He, he might just paint his face black and, and red. Yeah, the, the really dirty the prosthetic horns on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Good point. Uh, he has his legs though, so this is pre. We know this is at least pre episode one. Uh, it's before Whoa. he goes to the galaxy far, far away. What about solo reference from Rome? Remember when Rome? Oh no, no, wait, wait, that's not cool. Later, later, oh, later. Yeah, later, uh, later, okay, later, later. Right. yeah, there's so many great <laughs> Star Wars quotes in this episode that are fucking amazing. Uh, uh, clearly, the writer must be a Star Wars fan because there's like more Star Wars quotes in this episode than there are in the entire series. So. There's something going on there. I guess the guy who wrote this episode's a, a Star Wars guy. He's he's a functioning human being. Is that what you're saying? That's what I mean. I mean, I mean, he's a logical fucking person that I would like to, you know, cheers with, uh, get a beer with. Yeah, I think that there's something afoot. Greg's kind of put it together, but he doesn't know what to do with that knowledge. But we, we, it, what a hilarious character in which to obtain this knowledge. Like, of course, it's Greg, right? And and he would he would have no idea the gravity of that scene, even though they do make a point to show him Kendall meeting with Stewie, and then they show. Uh, and, and Greg sees that and then Greg sees Stewie with Sandy and Greg's not dumb. He understands Sandy's he's like a competitor. And so he, he's starting to piece it together, but what will Greg do with that knowledge? It's an interesting question. Now let me take y'all to the soul crushing scene before that. A lot of soul crushing at the end of this. And Kendall visits his dad. His dad calls and says, Ken, I want you to come in. His dad has been in and out of consciousness. The whole episode just got out of that brain hemorrhage, put his daughter's hand down his pants. So he's not quite in right mind. Uh, you know, necessarily. So Kendall rolls in, kind of has this moment where he's like, look at you fucking watching the news. It's like, he clearly doesn't know what to say. Like, he's just like saying things that he's doing. And, <laughs> and, and for kisses, but not quite sure that, right. that he, that's about to happen. And yeah. He awkward, does the awkward kiss. And, and he says, Hey, I got us out of this fine. The, the 3.25 billion. I got private equity money. I solved it, dad. I did like, Essentially setting his dad up for the alley-oop of you did good, son. And, you know, and of course, in true succession fashion, we don't get the quality family moment. Instead, Kendall leans in. His dad brings him in close and looks at him and goes, You are fucking idiot. Nuclear bomb in Kendall's brain. The worst thing he could have heard. Right. He was Light sailing drop. confidently until the rug pull. And that last scene, that's exactly what it was. His feet were pulled out from under him. And then we see this incredible shot of Jeremy Strong walking out of the hot rise apartment and walking, you know, just down the street. And he's like processing it. And you know, Jeremy Strong does a lot of acting without dialogue. And, and I mean, you know, uh, Barn and I have sung his praises, but he, he definitely, this is a, a moment, you know, kind of one of his, and it will be in his highlights if he does win the Indy is this kind of moment of, processing this what did y'all think about that yeah that's what i I was saying earlier like the the rest of the episode 
it's a casual episode. Things happen, but nothing as big as we've seen previously. But at the end there, um, I like the way they ended it, just with the, the cut to music and Kendall just uh, rethinking maybe his whole life. I, I don't know. What, what do you think about walking down the sidewalk at that point? But uh, he's thinking hard. Yeah, he's emotionally destroyed. I mean, <laughs> it's like he walked into that meeting with his dad so excited to share the news that, you know, he came up with a magic solution to get him out of a world of hurt. And he's probably picturing in his mind, like him and his dad being in this beautiful field playing catch together as father and son. And it comes to a crashing hall when his dad tells him that you're a fucking idiot. So that's nice. Um, I'm sure that leaves you feeling pretty good and high and mighty on yourself. Oh wait, no, it doesn't. You're aimlessly walking down the sidewalks of New York, wondering what the fuck just happened to you. Yeah, he's shook. He's a definition of shook. He's Sarah Snook. After that, uh, <laughs> that was a Brett joke, and I, I think I pulled it off better than he would have. But uh, <laughs> that's a uh... <laughs> <laughs> bum laugh. All right, category. You know who you're messing with? <laughs> do, you do you know who you're stealing from? Oh, the bank manager from the Dark Knight always appears. You and your friends are dead. Sorry, that needed to happen. All right, categories. Let's run through these. Who gets the buckets, the most buckets in this episode, best acted? For all the reasons we just discussed. Jeremy Strong, baby. That's who I like. He's good. He's the best, and he deserves this award. He is my pick for this particular award. Barn, what do you think, man? Ah, man, I want to, I mean, I want to go with someone else, but... No, I've I've already tipped my hand throughout the pod so far, and that's it's got to be Kendall and Jeremy Strong. You know, it's like I feel like of any of the characters of this episode um, that have their own scenes, he's the one that steals the most of them. Probably more so as a byproduct of the fact that I think this is the creator's way of of showing us more about him as the season goes on, whether that's his personal life, whether that's him trying to assimilate to this new position of, of interim CEO or CEO. Um, so I, I'd go Jeremy Strong as well. Just because I'm not sure how much screen time he's going to get or uh, how much he's love he's going to get throughout the rest of the season, but I'm going to go with Tom for this one. Um, I, I loved his interactions. He's funny, and yet I think he's acting well throughout the episode. Um, like, when he hangs up the phone after Shiv calls him out of his first big meeting, and he just goes, fuck. Like, <laughs> I just, yeah, love love the range of emotions we see from Tom in this episode. And actually in the next episode, I guess he does do pretty well too. But yeah, I'm going to give it to Tom. Tom is really kind of the, he weirdly becomes the audience's avatar because he is kind of goofy and yet somewhat competent and kind of deals with, you know, having maybe a, you know, a domineering girlfriend or wife like that, you know, that I guess a, a dude might be able to empathize with, but, um, he, he really is kind of the avatar for this episode for me because I, I get less, I identify less and less with Kendall and more with Tom in these situations, I feel like. So I do kind of follow him throughout like his narrative through my eyes for sure. Tom, so. Wom's Gans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to start putting that last name on the back of my like kickball jerseys, even though it's not my last name. I just want to put Wom's Gans on the back of my jersey. If a girl actually says like, oh, Tom, I'll be like, Will you marry me right now? That's it. Yeah, right there. That's it. <laughs> I would encourage the both of you, if you're having a bad day tomorrow, to just at the top of your lungs break and interrupt the silence with screaming, Wamsgans! It, it, <laughs> it does wonders for you, let me tell you. From I speak from experience, of course. 
<laughs> so that's a great segue. That's a Brett quality segue. Barn, uh, can you introduce me into the next category? I think that is kind of your role. <laughs> oh, uh, which category would that be? Would that be the Greg and Tom? Greg and Tom doing fun things like eating illegal songbirds. <laughs> Spoiler alert. It would um, be exactly that category. So, whoa, On iTunes will be that. It'll just be like that four seconds, and it'll be like the most downloaded song ever. Lil Wayne will buy and do a remix of it. Is he still thing? Or Drake or something? Uh, I don't know. Good, good you know yeah. DJ Khaled will grab it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Khaled, for yeah. sure. All right, so uh, so Kansas City, man, what do you got on the Greg and Tom like best moment of their dysfunctional yet extremely hilarious relationship? Man, this is like the best episode so far for me for their relationship, and it's like my nipples are hard. I don't know if it's because my shirt is off or because <laughs> Greg and Tom had such good interactions in this episode. <laughs> Who can say? Who can say? Uh, we'll never know. <laughs> Yeah, from the those first moments where they lock eyes across the lobby and Tom just totally blows off Greg to <laughs> Greg not knowing his last name. Uh, t- uh, boss, Tom, Tom. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so you know they're in for it. But then the next time he sees Greg, he's uh, scooping the baked goods into a doggy bag. And uh, possibly my favorite uh, comedic scene of the episode really, really adds to it. Yeah, that has a credible scene, um, I and I believe I believe Barn has more to say about that too. Or were you continuing, Brett? Oh, I want to hear Barn talk about Greg and Tom as much. As <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is really this is the moment everyone's been waiting for right now. Is that this is really just the time where we give him the ball and just like in the post, and we just let you just do like Elijah Wan post moves for like if, three minutes. This is legitimately like Shaquille O'Neal in his prime, just <laughs> drop stepping like a six one guard and not only dunking the shit out of the ball, but lifting his nutsack as close to the rim as they possibly can get it without tearing the backboard down. Oh, so this, this isn't garbage time because Greg, uh, Greg is using a poop bag. <laughs> garbage time point. This yeah. is prime time point. Yeah, this, this is the last three minutes, game seven of the NBA Finals level. Tom, right here. Oh, okay. I, well, I like. I honestly, I, I don't even really want to say too much because if there's ever a scene to play the actual clip, this would be it. Can I get the senior team together tomorrow for a reorientation? Shaking the tree, folks. Shaking the tree. Excuse me, Greg. Are you kidding? Hey, Tom. Forgive me, but uh, are we talking to each other on the poop deck of a majestic schooner? Is the salty brine stinging my weather-beaten face? No? Why the fuck are you wearing a pair of deck shoes, man? Oh, yeah, no. Well, my credit card got maxed out. Um, I'm staying in a youth hostel on like $80 Jesus, a day. Jesus, squalid. Dude, are you carrying dog shit? No, no. No, it's, uh, it's free, right? I'm, is that cool? I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want to be melodramatic, but my body is growing weak due to a lack of sustenance. But in a dog poop baggie? Yeah, I have a bunch of them from Greg, back home. That's disgusting. Not really. It's like, it's not like they pre-poop them or something. Like, it's not like, they're just bags, really. It's just a mental barrier. Pair of Capto Oxford's Crockett and Jones ASAP. Lucinda, can we uh, figure out where we might put the talented Mr. Greg? But I will say this: <laughs> no matter how many times I could watch it in a row, <laughs> seeing Tom's face when he legitimately says, <laughs> "quote," 
he goes, dude, are you carrying dog shit? It only gets better. It only gets better from that question. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every moment is so well, like dialogued and just written and, both their interactions, like they're it's just a constant stream of non sequiturs and neither of them listening to what the other one's saying and like, but yet playing off each other. It, yeah. I mean, I think my favorite sneaky part of the scene is the like attendant standing behind Tom that just listens to the whole interaction. And she's like, just holding important papers and like probably his like assistant or whatever. And she's like listening to this whole thing. Dude, are those fucking deck shoes? And then we get Sperry gets like the best advertisement of his entire existence as a company. Like we get a just a quick zoom into a dirty ass Sperry's. No socks. No socks. Yeah, yeah and, and no socks. Sperry's with a black suit, like fucking brown Sperry's. I'm like I'm not like the, the most fashionable guy, but like I was cringing at the shot of that. Like it was like you one million percent had a friend in college that would do stuff like that. They would wear like boat shoes with suit pants. And like, you were just like, bro, like you got to calm your tits, man. You can't be about this life. This is just not how this shit works. You got to get yourself some wing tips, motherfucker. <laughs> and and Chief, you, you said it like you the freaking Tom has his like personal assistant and which her name is Lucinda. Great name. But he, he yeah, that's great. He ends the scene with <laughs> Lucinda. Can we figure out where we put the talented, talented Mr. Mr. Greg? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I'm telling you right now, whichever writer was responsible for writing this scene, I need more from him or her. Like they belong <laughs> writing their own show somewhere. And I will tell you right now, networks will be scratching and clawing to pick it up because if this shit is on par for the course i want to see more of it yeah incredible scene incredible scene and i think we all agree the best greg and tom moment in the episode uh let's move on to our next category which is the six man slash one award makes the most of limited screen time my pick not surprisingly is jerry the the general counsel of the firm and sort of the stalwarts and the even-keeled person throughout this, like, complete parade of imbeciles. And she's just the one that just has to listen to all these idiots go about their lives in multiple situations. And her faces, she's able to do so much with just, like, a neutral face and a little tight lip. Like, she wants to say something, but she's fucking general counsel and has had to bite her tongue for basically her entire career. That's what general counsels do is they let the big boys do stuff. And they every now and then go like, mm, maybe we shouldn't do that, but whatever, you can do what you want. Uh, and so I, I love her scene when she's in there with Kendall and he's coming up with a new strategy. You can tell she's the tightness of her lips. Absolutely amazing. Uh, she's unreal in the scene, the way she reacts to everything. When Kendall gives her the okay, like when he thinks it's going well and it's so clearly not, he just goes like winks at her and she like it gives a quick shot on her and she's just like just dead face, just fucking stonewalls him. Like, I mean, it's just amazing. And to, to be able to give all that without actually like doing anything to me is like some of the best acting. And she really gets very minimal, very minimal screen time. But every time she's in a scene, I'm like ready. I'm like ready to go. I'm like, Jerry's in this scene. Let's fucking go. So I ride for Jerry hard. That's exactly who I would have said um, for all the, the reasons. Yeah. She's got that scene. She's got to listen to, to both cringeworthy phone calls. She's got to listen to uh, Rome and Kendall, not only listen, but watch them take their shirts off. Or, or watch Rome take his shirt off and just sit there. <laughs> Could you ask him to put his shirt back on, please? Uh, 
I don't know if I could do that. Kendall's <laughs> <laughs> response. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's she's great. Um, that's, I don't even want to try to cast around for another six man or woman. Oof, man. Uh, this is a tough one. For me, I would probably go – I think I'd go Roman, man, because like we're given a little bit of a snapshot into Roman that first episode and like his just – incessant hijinks and how he's crazy and off the cuff and second episode i don't think we have as much we have it here or there but this episode man it is like replete with the fact that he's crazy and it reinforces the idea that he has absolutely no business being ceo of what's in all likelihood like a multi-billion dollar industry um so i'd probably do roman because He's freaking hilarious. He steals a lot of scenes. Um, none more so than one we haven't even brought up yet, which is when he tells his trainer that he's oh, suing him. <laughs> 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 well, that, whole, that whole exchange where he basically threatens his trainer with this, you know, lawsuit and, and talks about how like, yeah, damage to me or an injury to me could literally results in like the loss of millions of dollars in people's <laughs> livelihood. It's so good. Um, so I, I'd go with Kieran Culkin Rome for this one. Good picks. Good picks all around. Let's move on to the next category, which is our power play category, which indicates a particular mover and shaker moment where someone does something big and the jockeying for power in this world of succession. It's all about power. Who's got it. And who's making moves on the chessboard. Barn, what do you think, man? Who do you like for the power play award in this episode? Easy. This one's easy for me. You got. I got to go with Larry Furness. You know, like he, Larry is, or, or excuse me, Sandy Furness. Um, Sandy is played by Larry, played by a guy named Larry. So you're not. You know, <laughs> is, the, is that where that came from? <laughs> yeah, it really is played by a guy named Larry. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. I was I was concerned for a second that I could legitimately be having a brain hemorrhage. So I'm glad that you alleviated those concerns. Thank you. Did someone actually say brain hemorrhage? <laughs> I don't want to be given the runaround by Dr. SUNY fucking medical center here. <laughs> but no, man, I'd go Sandy. Cause you know, do we know what exactly he's doing or the plan he's hatched up with, with Stewie? No, we don't, but it doesn't matter. All we need to see is we're exposed to him or introduced to him as Logan and Waystar's biggest rival that he probably has his own company and so on and so forth. And then we know that Kendall brokers this deal with Stewie, seemingly gets out of the debt problem. And as soon as we see that Stewie and him are having a conversation on that park bench, it's like, man, Sandy is, I, I think I said this in the first episode in the can, but Sandy's making like multiple chess moves ahead of his opponent, you know, and then doing some shit on the fly and very meticulously planned to where, you, you got to think he, he feels good about where he's positioned himself moving forward. He's been waiting decades for this sort of an event. You got to play that long game. Uh, for me, uh, biggest power play, I, I think it, it basically breaks the world um, of Waystar Royco in this episode. It's got to be Greg listening to the onboarding video without headphones. Like, like just <laughs> no cause or no care for anyone else around him in the office. First day on the job, doesn't even know what he's doing, and uh, just got that volume cranked up loud. I mean, people have real jobs here, Greg. 
<laughs> yeah, Greg just yeah, just, what a power move. Yeah, he really does. He, he literally is is one step away from eating someone's lunch in the refrigerator. You know, it's like clearly marks like fucking Dealing Steve's from lunch. The break room. <laughs> <laughs> My power play is the the guy that owns the loan that just fucking roasts Kendall on that call. Halo squats on his body like three, four times after he needled him to death. And like <laughs> Kendall is Kendall is just left for dead, dude. Just he like this guy is so clearly superior to him in negotiating tactics that like I mean he basically wrote the book on it. He lets Kendall negotiate against himself. I mean, honestly, Kendall needs to go to the Jack Donaghy school of negotiating from 30 Rock. Like he could really use some pointers from our boy Alec Baldwin. Um it's just hilarious. Like and, and when Kendall tells him to fuck off and like, there's a 29 second pause and then he goes, seconds. yeah. Uh, and then he goes, hello. And he goes, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> it's still, yeah. like, pause, like, he just, like he doesn't say anything more though. He just lets Kendall sputter around. He goes, son, I don't appreciate you using language like that. And we're going to seek repayment of the loan in full. If the stock drops below this, he's like, yeah, but what are we really going to do? And he's like, we're going to fucking do that. Like, <laughs> you know, during that 29 seconds, not only was he trying to recuperate, but he, he put the photo of his family face down on the desk so that they couldn't hear the foul language coming through the phone right now. <laughs> him and his seven blonde children just smiling up at him. And he, right, he right. can't even dare to think that they would hear that. He goes and pours himself like a, he gets a green tea. He doesn't drink coffee because he doesn't like caffeine. His hands are shaking as he walks across the room. <laughs> yeah, so that, that guy, that guy's that, you get, they need to employ that guy at Westar Rocoey, man, because <laughs> that, that guy there makes plays uh, without a doubt. He makes makes big time plays and causes Kendall to kind of shit himself there like a little baby. Next category is our fuck off category, which is when someone is especially cruel. I like in this category. Uh, I like uh, Marsha. I think Marsha is completely understanding what she's doing. Yes, she understands that Logan is kind of not in his right mind, but she's manipulating, flexing her muscles to keep the kids away from him. Like, who cares if he's not in his right mind? His kids still have every right to see him. And even though he's like not completely him, and she she posits it as, you know, he's not ready to see you. Like, she puts it on them, like in him, but doesn't really, he, she's the barricade. And so to to me, she's like doing the ultimate fuck off like you know without any holds barred for anyone else's emotion what do you think barn so i will go something different i do want to elaborate a little bit on that and that's we haven't really touched too much on um i think you mentioned earlier kansas city but like you know shiv looking into or having nate look into Marsha, and how creepy was it when you know, Shiv has that awful interaction with her father, walks down the stairs, and you get the sense that, like, Marsha says something to the effect of, like, oh, and Shiv, if you have any questions about me, just feel free to ask. It's like, holy shit, like, what? This lady, like, does she know that Shiv had someone run a background check and look into, you know, her past? So, I don't know. That's that's something that I think is legitimate question we it's not one that's answered for us um definitely kind of creepy it fits into the mold of Marsha being a, a power player and, and really knowing all things at all times um for me i'm gonna go with the obvious choice and that's the son desperate for his father's approval that's you know reaching out for that beautiful embrace that he's so long waited for only to have it returned with what appears to be quickly 
recuperated Logan saying, you are a fucking idiot with not as quite a long of a pause as, as our guy on the end of the end of the line as Sim and Kindle are negotiating stock prices and payment and refill. But nonetheless, it's like, oh man, talk about a brutal interaction for, for Kindle to have with his father and one that I don't think bodes well for his personal or emotional health moving forward. Yeah, it definitely changes things for him and going forward. But you got as the fuck off category, Brett. Uh, I'm going to give this one to Shiv. Uh, I think I mentioned it earlier, but inviting a guy to a hotel room, knowing that he's going to show up, uh, expecting maybe a, a fun afternoon. And then it turns out that she just wants to use his his very special set of skills uh, to find out what's going on in Marsha's Marcia's background. Good picks, good picks, everyone. Let's go to reciting Roman. I think we should all just be ready to laugh our asses off with the fantastic fucking Roman quotes. The best quote from our young favorite man-child, the baby Roy. My pick is, uh, is a moment that it is discussed during the shirts off scene. So it's Jerry, it's Kendall, and it's Roman. They're sitting in a room, and they're trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do about their stock. And they don't know how they're going to repay it. They're trying to figure out options. Basically, every option's bad. And suddenly Roman goes, we just need to fucking take our shirts off. Like, we need to fucking take our shirts off, and that's how we're going to figure this out. So he just, like, takes his shirt off. And, like, he manages to convince Kendall to, like, take, like, roll his sleeves up and take his blazer <laughs> off, which I thought was a really funny kind of characterization of Kendall. That's, like, as far as he'll go. Uh, but while they're talking about, like, options and, like, questions they have, I think that the setup is, like... You know, sometimes you leave the party and you wonder what everyone's saying about you. Mm, with me, it's usually... Who's that young Han Solo, and how do I get his dick in my ass? <laughs> <laughs> like, what, a, what an amazing quote. Like, the fact that he has this, like, conception about himself, like, who's, who's that young Han Solo, like, Pete Harrison Ford, and how do I get his dick in my ass? <laughs> oh, dude, it had you got to have confidence in yourself first. That's yeah, no, the first step. Yeah, no doubt. Roman's got the utmost confidence if he considers himself Pete Harrison Ford. And thinks that everyone wants to wants him to aimlessly penetrate them. So, shouts to our boy Roman, man. What, what do you got, Barn? Who, who's your bet? What's your best Roman quote from this episode? Man, I got to go with uh, <laughs> the boardroom meeting where Kendall, you know, is nervous as he heads into meeting with all the like directors of the different departments. But Roman in that scene just completely crushes me. Um, cause he's so good. He, 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 you know, that if there's anything that Kendall and him probably talked about heading into that meeting, Kendall's like, Hey bro, like whatever you do, don't bring up the fact that dad is, we, we have no idea how dad's doing. Like for all we know, he could be dead. And Roman, <laughs> tried to put on a <laughs> Roman, Roman just interjects in the meeting as Kendall's like getting it started. And he's like, you're all probably wondering about my dad. Yeah, um, he's like a thousand percent better though. He's a bull and a rhino hide, uh, slow and steady. This morning he put on a sock, so yeah, that's right. That's that is good. Um, and it's like you just know Kendall's like, oh dear God, like really, you're bringing up the fact that the milestone in dad's recovery was that he, he attempted to put on a sock and, and he's got to be worried about this shit getting out, you know, and like this leaking to the press as they're supremely concerned over <laughs> shareholder value and what their stock price is and how the market views them. So man, that scene to me just like 
it it just destroyed me. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, Kendall's like, yes, he uh, he did indeed try to put on a sock. He tries to like <laughs> save the moment. That that like that whole <laughs> recurring line of him trying to put on a sock throughout the episode, like, it was very Coen Brothers to me. It was very like burn after reading. Yeah, or, like it had like a real like Coen Brothers dark comedy. Like Big Lebowski repeated line. Like he tried to put on a sock. And like, it, it, like, and it, it sometimes is repeated as a question. Like, did you try to put on a sock? And someone's like, yeah, I tried to put on, it's like <laughs> multiple people will say it. And yeah, I, I really like that recurring line. And I'm glad you brought that up because we hadn't mentioned how big of a deal it was that our boy Logan was uh, trying to warm his feet, man. Like, he's got cold <laughs> feet, dude. Just trying to put on a damn sock. And maybe that means he's fully recovered from his brain damage. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but it it's gotta be him. good. <laughs> it's gotta be, it's definitely positive in his, uh, his recovery. Brett, what's your favorite Roman quote from this episode? Uh, mine is earlier in the episode after the phone call. Rome walks in and he he's obviously been listening in, and, and uh, Kendall's like freaking out. And Rome's like, "Relax, man, it'll be fine." And Kendall's like, "No, uh, necessarily won't." And then he goes off on a tirade. And Roman's like, "Dude, I was only trying to be nice. That was a shit show, and you're a fucking moron." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the fact he was listening in and like just like. It comes in basically comes into the kitchen. I feel like from like the, the rec room, yeah. like that, and, and goes like, "Dude, you totally fucked that up, dude." Like, <laughs> just doesn't offer any help. Like, wasn't part of the strategy. Just comes into Rose's brother. It's like, like you know that he did when they were teens, and he was listening in on the landline while Kendall oh, yeah. was talking to his babes from high school, and Rose's oh, yeah. little brother who comes in like, "Yeah, man, you screwed that up." <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Well, boys, do we have any uh, wrap-up comments about episode three of Succession entitled Lifeboats? More Greg and Tom. <laughs> yeah, like Cowbell, Greg and Tom is the winner, man. Give me more Greg and Tom right now, damn it. Did you guys catch um, – I caught on the second viewing as he's walking out and he tells like his assistant, he's like, yeah, maybe even like put up a documentary of um, the epic oh, yeah. Gilgamesh on – you know, so that all of our employees can see. And I was like, what, what is that? And the beauty of it is you look it up and it's like Kindle saying it, Kindle saying it in the sense that it's like, um, what many literary scholars perceive to possibly be as like one of the first texts to ever be created. And so it goes with his like theme and motif of like, Hey, a thousand lifeboats, all hands on deck. Um, let's inspire people by, once again, reminding them that, you know, the Epic of Gilgamesh was this important literary text. We are capable of creating as equally important of literary text. Then the more and more I research it, it's literally about like a king that demoralizes the city that he rules over and is in charge of ruling by like constantly shitting all over the people, as well as what I found like sexually oppressing and abusing the women that are in the city. <laughs> and so it's like the beauty of it. And you talk about a great little, you know, nonchalant nugget that these writers drop is it's like Kendall's clearly the kind of person that all he knows is, Oh, well that's, that's like, you know, what historically is known as one of the first <laughs> put up a documentary on that. I think it'll be great for company morale. And yet then his assistant probably looks it up and is like, yeah, no, this would be a human resource disaster and nightmare. <laughs> you do not want to be compared to, you know, this this king that was known as the, the Gilgamesh or King Uruk, who is known as being an oppressive, shitty, horrible ruler. 
Wow. Yeah, that's a fantastic nugget. I didn't know that. And that's classic, classic Kindle to have the surface level trivia knowledge, but yes. not in-depth knowledge about yeah. really anything. Uh, this has been another episode of In the Can. We're doing the Succession Series. I'm here with uh, Kansas City Brent and Farmer Barn. We'll be back with episode four next week. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to doing the rest of this show. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We're really enjoying doing the podcast and would be happy to hear your comments on the-barnburner.com or at the underscore Barnburner on Twitter and in our various Twitter accounts as well you can find on the site. So holler at us. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Also, boys, this week, Make sure you don't get any HR violations by uh, getting open for business in your office, all right? Can't promise. <laughs> I'm all not right, the guys. chief of anything. All right, guys, fuck off. Peace out. <laughs>